0: <laughs> Look in the mirror and be honest. Oh, it would be ugly. That was the most maniacal laugh you've ever given, dude. And there's more of it. <laughs>
1: The Spit Podcast, David Lee Scales, and I'm Scott Bass, and we are here. It's Tuesday, February 27th, the last day of February, a chilly, blustery, cold day, and a cold week in Southern California and across the Southwest. Welcome,
0: David. Welcome, Scott. We are at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. San Clemente, California, surfingheritage.org is the website, the largest repository of Not only print, maybe even video, maybe even surfboards.
1: Photos for sure. Definitely an incredible timeline of surfboards that is without reproach, frankly. It's crazy. It's an incredible museum. The Smithsonian of surf, if you will, shack here in San Clemente. Do they brand it that way or is that just our thing? I think they would. Yes, I think they have branded it that way. It's true. Yeah. For sure. I'm not sure how the Smithsonian feels about them.
0: I wonder if they're listening right now.
1: Taking (laughs) (laughs) hey, you know what? It's kind of like, it's kind of like when a big organization steps on the dates of your event, you feel at first disappointed and then you realize it's actually a good thing. This is a
0: very specific example. (laughs) (laughs) What might you be referring to, Scott? Uh, The WSL.
1: (laughs) 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 No, they came out yesterday morning, right, with their, that's the elephant in the room for me. But no, they came out with the Founders Cup, which is this, I guess, this um, team co-ed team event, a nation-state versus nation-state team event. And it's on May 5th and 6th, which is the exact dates of the Boardroom International Surfboard Show presented by U.S. Blanks. Down in Del Mar, but two totally different regions of the country.
0: Unless they're trying to squash you. What if they're building their own surfboard trade show to be (laughs) launched next year? You know, this is the first
1: effort. It could be. I I, I welcome that. Um, (laughs) You know, it's like, like, uh, you know, you don't know if it's good. You don't know if it's bad. You can't. um, In five years, nobody will care.
0: Well... I don't know that it really jeopardizes. It doesn't. Your I think it's a good base. thing. Yeah,
1: I'm excited. Here's the facts: are that everybody that shows up at the boardroom show each and every year. Um, this year, they'll be watching. Many of them will be watching the Founders Cup on their yeah. laptops or their phones or whatever, and certainly we'll have it on someplace on the show floor.
0: So we can get into the Founders Cup more in detail um, later in the show. But the reality is, they have a limited number of seating you know they have a limited number of seats It 5, is open. It's it's oh really that's what dave told me that's a big number because they
1: dave sent me an email going hey i wanted to you know they were reaching out for my help basically and which is you know which was proof that they didn't know the mm. my the dates of my event but it doesn't matter but yeah five thousand. i don't know how much though how much do you think the tickets are going to be
0: they it was i was on their website last night and um they had a pre-sale or a booking. so yeah. I can look it up right now. I didn't actually click on the purchase. Yeah, button. I
1: saw that they had a pre-sale. I think they go on sale March 12th. But um, I can see people from Los Angeles okay. or San Francisco
0: going. Oh, yeah. Driving completely. out to Lamar to see that event. Um, so the pre-sale, it's just you give them your email address. They don't give you a price quite yet. Mm. Um, Gaging well, the
1: interest, I suppose.
0: Well, we, uh, we'll get into it. But yeah. number of things. You're yes. right. You're right about the weather, and the surf's been terrible. You sound like you have a cold. I've had the flu and the cold, and I've been out.
1: I just just kind of came up for air yesterday. Really? Yeah, I've been knocked out. Well, you
0: haven't been missing any waves. Well, That's the waves good. have
1: been horrible. It's been it, it. I mean, can we just go on record as saying this is the worst winter ever? And I hate to be that guy, but it's really, really, really been bad.
0: I'm. I'm glad to hear you say that. I feel that way, but I'm the worst at keeping track of things, you know, like I'll forget what year things happen. I'm just like the worst at tracking. So um, yeah, I agree. It's, it's been terrible. I surfed both days this past weekend and for the first time ever, almost felt like I probably shouldn't have even gone out. It's just super cold and small. And it was cold. It was super windy. And I just felt like I needed to get in the ocean. That was the objective. Not so much to catch waves, but even then it was like, sat around for an hour and caught like three waves that weren't even worth catching. And I actually did feel better when I got out, but still didn't get any waves to speak of.
1: Well, I'm not necessarily, um, you know, a bastion of historical reference regarding what winter was great and what winter wasn't so great. But I think this is far and away. It's clear to me that we've only had one and a half winter swells. Yeah. In Southern California, maybe it's different north of Point Conception for yeah. sure, but Southern California has been horrid and uh, any of the swells that have, you know, tickled our fancy have been way too north, too steep for the Southern California bite and um, and it's been butt cold and this all has to do with the massive ridge of high pressure that's dominated the Northeast Pacific for a long time and it's created a split in the jet stream and um and when there's a split at the dateline and Mark Sponsler on Storm Surf, I mean, this is a, a website and a guy that I, I use a lot when I, mean, I do the surf report in San Diego. And uh, he does a weekly YouTube video that if you guys out there in listener land should go onto YouTube and check out Storm Surf, his we- his YouTube channel. And he does a weekly kind of like, this is what's happening. And it's a 30 minute wrap-up video and it's really good storm surf.com and and i mean it'll get into the minutiae of forecasting and weather cycles and and i i find it fascinating it's a little bit scientific
0: i was gonna say 30 minutes is a lot of
1: oh there's a lot of there's a lot of madden julian oscillation and a lot of you know there's a lot of scientific vernacular but it's great
0: did you always care about um, weather patterns and swell. I, I always
1: so. have had a, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm much more involved in it now than I was, but yeah. I've always, you know, the winter of 83, I was 17 years old and that was an insane winter of surf. It was like right up there with 69 as far as massive El Nino and just huge, huge waves. And um, ever since then, I've been sort of infatuated with North Pacific low pressures
0: You with, um, vintages of swell is like me with vintages of wine. Like I can't remember which swells were good, but if you ask me what a good vintage in Bordeaux was, I'll let you know what they were across the decades, you know? Okay. Well,
1: I'll let you know when I need that (laughs) Uh, info, I will refer to you
0: and get your guidance. Um, but it's funny. I didn't care about forecasting at all when I was younger, but I definitely have more of an interest now. And I don't know if it's just, you become, I don't know, your brain just shifts, um, and you like information more and stuff, heady information, but also I have to pick and choose my sessions now. And so I want them to be kind of strategic. When I was younger, I would just show up to the beach every time I had free time and I would surf no matter what, you know?
1: Yeah. I think as a surfer, I mean, all of us are, are naturally drawn to some level of, understanding weather cycles because it it affects us directly i mean it's one of the you know it's how we make our decisions on where we will travel and what what time of year we will travel and all that stuff and so there's definitely a surface level that all of us have and then how deep we dive in is sort of depends on each individual
0: or your travel budget right that dictates it too forecasting swells across the world and pinpoint you know target striking well,
1: StormSurf.com, and, and of course, I use Surfline a lot, too. I mean, yeah. I, those guys are experts as well, and they've really upped their game. I, I don't know if you've seen that Surfline has a new face, a new user yeah. interface that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. they've been Everything on new takes
1: some time to adjust to, of course, some people.
0: What I like about their rollout, though, is for the last six months, they've had it as an option, and it said, like, click here to test out the beta version, and so um, you were able to kind of ease into it, you know?
1: You know what I really like on the old version is the quad cam. And I haven't found the quad cam on the new version.
0: Okay. They, would, yeah. they have You think they, they have it? it? You click on it and it takes you back to the old oh, version. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, well, you referenced the boardroom show. It seems like you've been gearing up.
1: Yes. We're excited about the boardroom show. It's um it's going to be an exciting icons of foam uh, honoring Mark Andrini.
0: Yeah.
1: And the reason that is, it's exciting at least to me and I hope to many others is that it's the first time ever where we're doing a man on man, single elimination round robin tournament, sort of like a bracket, like in the NCAA basketball tournament. So um,
0: of, of the shaping competition,
1: the shaping competition. Yeah. There's eight shapers. It's the tournament of champions. So it's, Four of the guys are returning two-time or three-time champions. And the other four guys are wild cards that were chosen. One of them is the defending champion, Rex Marachal from Australia. Um, two guys from Hawaii, Bill Barnfield and Pat Rawson. And um, Travis Reynolds from Santa Cruz was a Marc Andrini pick. And, um, and that's the eight guys. Or, well, I didn't mention it. The four are... Roger Hines, Wayne Rich, Stu Kenson, Ricky Carroll. Those are the four seeded guys. And they'll each um, go into um, single elimination man-on-man. So after they compete against each other, their, their blank will immediately be judged. And a, a winner will be determined from that round one. And the, obviously the winner will go on to round two and then to round three and so on. until we have a final man-on-man final.
0: In the past, it was a little bit different format where each person just shaped one blank and at the end of the weekend, a winner was selected. In this version, are the two people that are going head to head shaping at the same time? In- yes. Okay. So they're both in a booth together. And at the end of that 90 minutes, like you said, the blank, the better blank is-
1: Yeah. There's literally two booths side by side. They both go in there. They shape the same board. As soon as they're done, they get judged. And the winning blank, the winning shaper moves on to the next round and the other guy's out. So it's like eight men enter, one man leaves. It's it's like an octagon type of situation, you know. Yeah. Um, and look, there's a bit of tongue in cheek in this. Um, we all know that shaping is is an art form and it's a craft and it's it's not necessarily... Um, doesn't always translate well into like a competitive format, but it is... Our duty, my duty to um, raise the level of and raise the awareness of handcrafted surfboards and, um, and the culture that flows from shapers and from shaping. I mean, if we dismiss that, then we dismiss who we are as a surf tribe the surfboard and the guys that made our boards are the cultural arbiters of who we are and what we do. At the end of the day, there's waves and there's boards to ride them with. And that means that there's people that build those boards. And, um, and that's really what the boardroom does, right. Is it lifts up that, um, that aesthetic and that principle. And so this competition, um, And believe me, these guys are all competitive that are doing it. But I do understand that, look, shaping's not necessarily a competitive sport. We're doing it with the overarching understanding that we're all in good spirits here, um, respecting of each other, and everybody's a winner. The guy that loses certainly isn't a loser, so to speak. Um, And and we're all doing it to, one, honor Mark Andrini, the guy that we're paying tribute to. But, um, two to lift up as i said yeah. the uh, shaping of of surfboards as as an integral part of who we are in our culture
0: yeah and i feel like even though it is a competition because it's fun to pick a winner with things it's always done in the spirit of just having fun like there's there's no cutthroatness to it and it is as a uh, sign of respect to the guy who it is who the that year is honoring this year obviously andrini but you were talking about shaping surfboards being kind of an art and a craft. This version of it is very much about replication. This isn't about expressing your artistic ability or like figuring out which design works best. This is Andrini brings a board that he's well-known for, a design that he's well-known for, and the objective is to replicate that board. So the winner is selected based on measurements, right?
1: Yeah, and I think in this particular case, I mean, the short answer is yes. The long answer is each each event there's a different judging criteria i okay. mean when we did dick brewer dick brewer did it a different way and when we you know did simon anderson simon anderson judged it a different way and some of them are very much numbers guys and you know brewer just basically at the end of the day put one under his arm and put his you know hands on the rails and said this is the one hmm. you know just cuz i've built millions of these things and i'm telling you this is the board that is most like my boards and um, the winner that year was Pat Rosson, you know, the year of Brewer. And, um, and the year that Simon Anderson was honored, Matt Biolas won, which was sort of a surprise to many people. You know, many people didn't necessarily think that Matt had chops with a planer in his hand. They knew that he was a great designer and a great shaper and definitely a great marketer. But that did a lot. And I was so stoked for Matt. You know, that did a lot to, to – um, I mean, Matt shaped against Brian Bulkley. He shaped against um, Larry Mobiel, um Jason, the guy from chemistry, uh, but Jason Bennett. I'm trying to remember. It's been a while. But
0: anyway, there, there was a lot of really red hot shapers. Yeah. And the judging is done anonymously. Yeah, they the don't blanks. The they blanks, don't, they right.
1: don't know who, who's blank is who. So there's no favoritism.
0: And- um, who is the judge? So Mark Andrini is the judge this year. Who is he? Does he have people on his team? Or is yeah, it he'll
1: probably or? bring one or two other guys okay. in, probably Kirk Putnam and, um, you know, maybe somebody else. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure exactly. Maybe Scott Anderson or somebody like that. I don't know.
0: You know what's funny? Talking about the way that Brewer did it, just the under-the-arm challenge, um, I initially would think that measuring is the best way to do this. Like, you want to be respectful of all the shapers and really give them – the most accurate assessment of their work and then pick the fair winner. However, let's say somebody is a quarter of an inch off on, I don't know what, the rocker. You know, like there's too much rocker in the nose, let's say. But everything else is perfect. And another one, the board doesn't, the rocker is ideal, but there's more kind of, let's call them flaws throughout the rest of the board. But Brewer, by feeling it, can assess that quarter inch of nose rocker is actually going to make the board not work as well as this other one, which technically has more quote unquote flaws, but it translates the essence of what my boards are designed to do. My boards are designed to surf big sunset and to be able to catch waves. And and this board that I'm feeling under my arm will do that the most similarly to mine. The one with too much rocker, on the other hand, it's going to push too much water and not, you know. So I wonder if that's, the philosophy yeah, there or if he I, just has a non-mathematical mind,
1: you know? Yeah, like I said, everyone's different, but you're right. I think that there is a certain, you know, like aesthetic quality that, that t- overtakes some of these guys as they're going through the judging process. The interesting thing about Andrini is that Andrini's, the bottoms of his boards have a lot of roll in them. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's kind of it's kind of difficult to, to put a stick on roll. You know, like you can measure it at 12 inches and you can measure it at 24 inches. And 30, but the whole flow of the contour of the flow on the bottom of the board is something that's, you know, it's hard to put measurements on. And so I think there will be a lot of eyeball tests going on there. And and to further your point, there was, you may remember it when we honored Rusty Preissendorf for Ward Coffee had nailed the board. Like Rusty was all but about to give it to ward as the winning board and then realized that wards board was two inches too tall that he had shaped it a six six instead of a six four or whatever it was yeah and um he went well if, i mean the board we're replicating is a six four you can't build a six six that just immediately threw, and so that threw it out yeah and um and that so was
0: simply an error on wars an part. error on war just part. thought it was a six six competition yeah, i think so yeah crazy um the reason I bring that up with Brewer is because that's how I assess a board's quality. A brand new board, you put it under your arm, you do that, and it just feels right or wrong. That's the first thing I do. I don't check leaderage, like volume. I don't check really the the dims. I reference, but the under the arm test is the definitive test.
1: I would agree with you, and and even leaderage to me, it's just it's just one number. I, you know, like yeah. thirty one liters. You know, you can fit thirty-one liters into a four-two. It doesn't yeah. mean that that's the ideal four-two for me, or what you know? what I mean, yeah. so I agree with you. Um, and and I think all of us can relate to going into a surf shop or going into a shaping a place where there's a lot of boards and putting certain boards under your arm and going, "Wow, this feels right," you know. Before, as you mentioned, looking at the numbers or even caring, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. Well, I'm excited for it. Um, it's funny you were saying all those guys are competitive except Andrini. Andrini's like the least competitive dude I've ever interacted with.
1: You know? I think Mark's probably more competitive than you realize. You think so? The one guy that's sort of not competitive is Rawson. Yeah. rawson has got a very kind of musical jazz guy, you know, like he'll spend 20 minutes of his hour and a half in the shaping bay talking to the audience, you know, like, and just, you know, I'm exaggerating, but you know what I mean? Like,
0: well, you're not exaggerating about his desire to talk and communicate. That's yeah. his favorite thing to do. Yeah, he's a More great More so talker. than win, I would say.
1: But he's won before and he's come in second before. I mean, he's come he's, very, you know, he's he probably sh- could have won the MR, the Mark Richards one, but um, there were some tears in the foam from him rushing, <laughs> of all things, you know.
0: Yeah, no, he's a savant level talent, you know, and just has so many reps under his belt. He's been doing it for so long.
1: And all eight of the guys are winners. I mean, yeah. the thing is like Bill Barnfield, Bill Barnfield's a genius. Yeah. You know, he he's a guy, frankly, that should be a guy we honor, as there are many, by the way. I mean, there's so many guys that have shaped in this thing that we haven't yet honored mm-hmm. that deserve, you know, that. And um, and Barnfield's certainly one of those. Um, I mean, this guy... He did this, I don't know, do you know Bill Barnfield's background with the whole measuring thing? No. Well, he's credited, and I might butcher this a little bit, so I apologize, but he's basically credited with the first guy to come up with a measuring system so that all the rockers were nailed, so that his, his philosophy, and again, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but my understanding of his philosophy was that Look, we're getting to a place, this is like, say, 1972 to 75, something like that. We're getting to a place where this is a legitimate profession. I mean, pro surfer. And these pro surfers demand that if they like a board, you need to come back to that guy and have him build it very similar, but with a small little tweak here or there. So he came up with a system, I think it's called, might be called like MCS or something. I don't know, measuring component system or whatever it is, it's And it was basically a way to measure rockers, to measure everything about a board, so that when Sean Thompson came back to him and said, hey, I love this board, let's do it exactly the same. How about make me one just like this and one with a touch more nose rocker at 12 inches or whatever. So, Barnfield is the first guy to really sort of come up with a system. And it was adopted by many, many people. And I'm not sure everyone would acknowledge barnfield as the guy but um if they don't they're probably it's probably has there's some ego involved or some mm. pride but the, my understanding is that barnfield deserves you know all of the credit for creating a system by which every board could be understood and and be referenced and and uh, that's just one of the many things he, he's quite the uh perfectionist
0: interesting yeah um so, May 5th and 6th in Del Mar, open to the public.
1: Yeah, boardroom show, May 5th and 6th, open to the public. Um, thousands of state-of-the-art surfboards on display and, of course, seminars. Um, and we will have the shaping competition. And, of course, Rev Chem is involved in a glassing and color demonstration. Um And best in show, you know, we always have a best in show competition and uh, great deals on boards and wetsuits and fins and gear. And it's just really, you know, the surf, if every industry, has a trade show. Yeah. And if you build surfboards for a living, that's your industry, and this is your industry's trade show. And we all deserve each other. We need to be under one roof together, sort of united at least one time a year. If we're going to have any power as a group, we need to stand together one time a year, and that's what the Boardroom International Surfboard Show does.
0: And um, a who's who of not only board builders but surf industry luminaries – are there it runs two days i in previous years i mean obviously tom kern on roller skates two years ago was amazing um <laughs> Ma- maurice cole i mean rob machado's walking around jerry lopez it's just like yes yeah, everybody's everywhere so it's it's a great opportunity if you're just a fan of surfing and you want to attend tickets are cheap right 10 bucks or 15 yeah, bucks or 10 something or 15 yeah bucks. you can buy them in advance you can get them at the door and then um just see everybody all in one room. It's a rare opportunity to do that.
1: Yeah. And we'll have the California gold surf auction going too, and, um, and of course everyone will have,
0: um,
1: I mean the, the founder's cup thing at the wave ranch will be on everyone's phones. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of computer screens showing it as well.
0: In previous years, um, it's overlapped your event is overlapped with the rio yes. contest yeah and so yeah that'd be something that we'd all be watching or talking about it was running in the middle of the night so it'd be like i'd be up late watching it and then show up in the morning and just be like dude
1: i know i'd be rolling my eyes i'm like no i didn't watch
0: the rio event <laughs> like Floatergate. I, I wouldn't have watched the rio event even <laughs> if i didn't have the boardroom show um cool well the founder's cup do you, can you talk about what your involvement is? Well, I don't have any involvement. Oh, you said Prodan reached out to Oh, you yeah. He some... reached
1: out for me to set up a shaping bay there. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. And I said, yeah, you know, I'll see what I can do. Maybe I can send somebody up there with one. But I uh, haven't heard back from him. Ever since I, I got back to him and I went, hey, great. Unfortunately, it's the same weekend as my event. He went off the radar with me. He hasn't responded.
0: I've had that issue with him too, and it's not – I don't think it's – It's a priority thing. He's busy as shit. That's the thing. Super busy and busier all the time, and you know his roles changed so much over the years that it's like new things end up on his desk every day. So with that sort of thing, it's never an issue of um, trying to leave you hanging. It's always an issue of just like I'll get back to it.
1: Speaking of roles changing at the WSL, I heard through the radar that there was – there were some layoffs over oh, yeah. there.
0: Did you hear this? Two Mondays ago? Yes. Yeah. I don't know who though.
1: I heard it was um, editors. Editors. But I don't know if it. Video I, editors? Part, yeah, like, video editors. Okay. A part of me thinks there might just be. Um, I don't know. How many people do you think got laid off? Do you know? Was it just two guys or was it like 15 guys?
0: So I got an email, um, anonymous email, and they said that it was pretty significant.
1: Yeah. Bloody Monday is what this guy told me. Yeah. Major layoffs at the WSL.
0: You know, I was up there last week. I saw saw that you interviewed Dave, right? I interviewed Dave. I haven't posted it yet, but things seemed normal there. It wasn't like a ghost town and everybody was sad and depressed. Well, I heard they
1: hired new editors that don't. That are less expensive, but that don't know surf.
0: Got it. Don't know how to
1: cut surf. Got it. But that's something that can be learned pretty quick. I don't... Totally. I mean.
0: Yeah.
1: But... Um, so what do you know? Well, that's kind of what I know, that there okay. was big layoffs, that it was editors, and that um, what I also know, or what I also heard, is that there was just some cost cutting, whatever that means. I'm mm-hmm. sure people's... I mean... This opens up a whole other sort of side. Let me let me just say this: that um, I also heard through my sources that some are suggesting that this whole Pipe Masters debacle was actually kind of planned. That they missed the deadline on purpose. They made a big show of trying to make it work out, but in the long run, it's going to save them a lot of money—four or five million dollars—to not run the Pipe event in 2019. And when you think about the big picture, right? And again, I'm just guessing a lot of this stuff. Like I I just base this in my little fantasy world in my head. But you know that Ziff was like, okay, we need to get this thing profitable so I can sell it. I'm sick of losing 50 million a year or whatever it was, right? Let's just say it's 20 million a year. I think it was 20. Okay, 20 million a year. Sick of losing 20 million a year. I can do it for a few more years, but let's try to get this thing to a place where it's palatable for somebody to buy it. So if we're going to do that, let's bring in, let's get rid of speaker because he's kind of run his course. He did. He waved his pom-poms for a while, but now it's time to get lean and mean. Let's bring in Sophie. Or is it Sophia? Sophie. Sophie Goldschmidt. I like her. I want, I only wish her the best. I feel like she's got, she's, she's in a tough spot. That's how I feel. Um, And let's bring her in. This is Ziff speaking. Let's bring her in and let's challenge her and task her with getting us to that place where we're palatable and for sale. And so she's looking at it completely with a whole new fresh rose-colored lens. Like she doesn't have any of the dogma of being involved in the surf industry for 30 years bearing down on her. She's looking at it like, well, God, Hawaii's a pain in the ass. I've been briefed on it. We could save money by getting rid of this you know the pipe event and oh by the way i'm hearing and this is now i'm out of character Speculate. i'm back to scott yeah. i'm hearing that vans triple crown is out that's the rumor i'm hearing is that this might be the last year of the vans triple crown which makes sense because there won't be a pipe event in 2019 yeah and and have you even heard a whiff of who won the triple crown last year cuz i'm hearing the wsl and the who pl- did exactly
0: I mean they did not obviously somebody called Cole won. Pinto Griffin did oh he did okay. but the point is is that
1: there's what a reason why it, none yeah. and because they're, what their problem with the Vance Triple Crown is it is it butts heads with the world champions yeah you know and they're kind of like look we've just we've got big wave world champions we've got WCT we've got women's we've got juniors we don't need this whole other confusing thing that sort of props up Hawaii and we're trying to get out of Hawaii because it's just not in our short-term future. And so um, to get back to my sort of my soliloquy, I guess you will, is that this is just part of Sophie's plan to get this thing to a place where we can now sell it. And of course the big picture in that is these events, the Founders Cup, um, the, the event in September. And of course, as I'm sure you've thought this through too. The founders kept to me is just like, let's show the Japanese Olympic Committee yeah, that we can run exactly. a team event. That's yeah. This is just a dry run for a team event because they're building one of these in Japan. Yeah. So this is like their way of going, look, we've pr- proof of concept. It works. Everyone had a good time. Now, um, speaking of this, from a fan's perspective, what is it that all arenas have that are super crucial to fan engagement, to keeping people there? When I go to a hockey game, it's two hours long. I'm in and out, two and a half hours. I had a great time and I'm back to living my life. Am I going to go to Lemoore for two days and hang out and spend eight hours a day there? Maybe I am. But I could kind of more see it being like, okay, let's go for two hours, watch a few heats, hobnob, get a, get an autograph from Kelly, blah, blah, blah. But what Back to what I was talking about. What's the one feature that all of these arenas have that's super, super important? Jumbotron. Yes. You nailed it. There needs to be a massive Jumbotron because we need to see all the replays. If I'm going to pay to go and drive to Fresno and sit there and eat your food, I need to be engaged with the Jumbotron.
0: You remember the Jumbotron from the Future Classic, right?
1: No. Did the, they have they one? had one. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Cause it, was on,
0: it was on the uh, building where the train is located uh-huh. closest to... The facility oh, okay. like closest to all the grounds where you hang out and it was angled partially towards the pool because that building faces directly back towards the back of the property. They kind of angled it out. So it wasn't against the building. It was kind of angled.
1: Cool. How big was it? Was it big enough? Big. Okay, yeah, good. giant.
0: Yeah, it, cool. was, it was good enough to where while the pro surfers were streaming the event on their phone. Remember that day?
1: You could see it.
0: Yeah, they would like, Silvana Lima was like shooting some of the event, shooting people's reaction and then she'd pan towards the Jumbotron and as the viewer on my iPhone, I could see it crystal clear, the surfer up close and personal. So it was big enough. I don't know. They might need two. They might need one on either end, but yes.
1: Yeah, gonna maybe Maybe they'll need another. So uh, anyway, I've covered a lot of little topics without getting too in-depth in any of them, so but the me, Vans thing is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Let me And I'd in. love for you to Follow up with pipe is gone. We haven't really, you and I haven't really
0: digested. It happened right after we finished our last, we knew
1: it was going to happen, but we,
0: so number one, the hockey analogy, it's a good analogy, (laughs) but it's not exactly fair to make yet because I bet the very first hockey arena also wasn't in downtown of a big city. You know, like, So, eventually, there will be wave pools in the middle of cities that people can just come and watch two or three heats of and then bail. Right now, it's such a novelty that I think people will drive two days and stay overnight. For sure. Um, Regarding the whole Hawaii thing. So, what you're – let me just recap kind of what I think you're saying. Sophie comes in. (laughs) That means I didn't do a very good job No, no, no. You did. You did. But I'm like, I'm processing still. Um, Sophie comes in, looks at the balance sheet, and just goes – Our product is these live events and our product is losing money, right? Like we can't even run trestles this year. We can't even run Fiji this year because we don't have enough support. And Prodan even told me, he's like, the Fiji government was signed on. The tourism board was signed on to provide a lot of the funding for those events. And I was like, didn't Outer Known sign on last year for three years? He goes, yeah, well, that's only partial funding. The government, the tourism board, covers a lot of the funding. Each, each event has a different revenue model, but no one person carries all the cost. So you're looking at it going, okay, they don't even have a sustainable model for each individual event. So Sophie's going, or the new team anyway, is just like, look, each individual event isn't profitable. So how do we make it profitable? Well... We own the event. We do it at a wave pool that we own. We charge admission. We charge the Founders Cup. We charge, you know, whatever it is. So I think that's the transition They're the model they're transitioning to. If they can simultaneously develop licensing deals like with Facebook, 30 million bucks over two years, right? Then that can also help fund the events. Licensing deals, private, uh, the pay-per-view model, you know, which they're we know they're exploring, that's where the model's going. Yeah,
1: I totally agree. I, I think any region that's not getting full support like the way Western Australia is giving them full support is they're going to be like, you know what? I'm out.
0: Well, and then Hawaii, it's kind of like, well, this is an expensive event for us. We're held to higher standards here and special standards with wild cards and whatever. you have to jump through all these loopholes in this region. Let's kind of defer our interest here, defer our investment. We'll go away in 2019 Hopefully, they'll feel the pressure of that. And in 2020, they come back and make, you know, concessions. You know, I
1: read that the PGA Tour gets money from the state of Hawaii.
0: And I heard Proden, that. Prodan said uh, that about Fiji, too.
1: Other events get, I mean, other um, sports yeah. get big chunks of money from the state. Yeah. And surfing does not.
0: Yeah.
1: That's interesting. But I think they're assuming that. I mean, it's kind of a gamble. Hawaii is kind of a gamble, right? I mean, it's a big gamble. Because what does the playing field look like? All those permits are going to be taken. They're already taken, right? Those permits that they gave up in 2019, they gave up three or four permits, right? So those have been soaked up by somebody. We don't know who, but some organization somewhere, probably be the Hawaiian Surfing Federation or somebody. I don't even know right
0: yeah i don't know either
1: and like the volcom permit i'm interested in that like is that a wsl
0: permit or is that a volcom permit that, right it must then, be a wsl permit who right? applies for the permit the yeah. sponsor or the sanctioning body by the way another thing Proden mentioned to me was that the dahui backdoor shootout didn't get their permit approved for 2019 either really that's what he said wow yeah so um that's
1: really interesting Why, you have something in your notes that relates to that? No, I just feel like, to me, those guys, Eddie and the Huey guys, seem like the guys that would be very close with the city and county of Honolulu regarding getting all their ducks in a row and making sure they have their permits together. Like, it it surprises me that they missed a deadline or that they didn't get permitted. You know, to me, that's that's just surprising. It's it's an
0: indicator of... Uh, the permitting process is flawed.
1: Or they're just really are sticking to the books because the mayor was like, look, we have a way to do this and you have to do it this way. And I always thought that kind of read, like if you didn't, you know, everybody's the same, everyone's equal. I don't care if you're the WSL or some junior high school surf team, you can all apply for this permit. Yeah. And he actually really means that to who he didn't get their permit either.
0: This year he means it. Right. But it's not fair. Well, fair doesn't really matter, but it's not fair that you know, organizations that have been doing business with them for a li- very long time that didn't have to do it dot every I and cross every T. Then the following year, you're automatically like, Hey, now you got to dot the i's." Sorry. We didn't give you a warning. You know? Yeah. That's kind of weird.
1: What do you think about the conspiracy theory that, that has been thrown around that I mentioned today about, um, triple crown.
0: No, oh, just, Oh, about
1: just Hawaii was actually planned. The, the- yeah. I,
0: I'm and it makes that way. It gives them an out without like pulling the rug out. Totally. Yeah. I, I'm not opposed to that at all. I, I could see it as a business decision. I mean, as a if you look at it strictly as a business decision, <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and I also we, we've kind of touched on it a little bit about how important is Hawaii. And for us right now, in the last 40 years of surfing, Hawaii is the ultimate. It's super important. I think that Sophie comes in and looks at it we're giving Sophie a lot. Of, we're like really defining <laughs> her character know, as if we know what she's talking like, about. She's oh. probably
1: rolling her eyes going, these guys are clueless. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. But we're using her. I mean, we have to pin She's this on the boss. Somebody. So I think that, you know, she comes in yeah. and says, if we take Hawaii away, you guys think this thing is culturally really important as a sporting organization. If we just shift it to end in Indonesia and we look 10 years down the road, Our viewership did not drop in 10 years. Our viewership probably didn't drop at all, even in the first year. We galvanized a community, and we either brought the viewership with us or built a larger viewership from outside of where you guys were ever even looking, and that's where we're looking 10 years down the road. You guys think Hawaii is super important? You won't even, like, we'll make something important to you. We're the ones who show you. Right. (laughs) We'll dictate what's
1: important and what's not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I you know from a fan's perspective, the interesting thing about say let's say they move it to Can or they move it to G Land or something like that, like the final event, like the big hurrah. The thing that was cool about Pipe was that it provided ultimate drama and ultra. You know, people die there. It's an insane wave. It's ridiculous. It's right on the beach. It's right in front of you. All of those same things occur at G Land and and occur at Ken or some other gnarly reef pass, Chopu, for instance. The thing about pipe is that it was the one place where you could go right or left. It gave you that ability. It gave us as fans and the surfers and everyone else the ability to go, okay, you know what? It could be a regular foot. It could be a goofy foot. You know, like at Chopu, you're like, oh man, okay, we get it. You know, guys that are really good, John John pulling in backside in the barrel and Owen Wright and Matt Will. You know, there's goofy foots that are great, obviously, too. But you get my point? Like, where we're going to miss that. Where There's yeah. not another spot in the world that's that death-defying that goes both ways. Right. Except for maybe Puerto. Yes. I don't know. I challenge you to think of another yeah, world-class, can. ledgy reef, gnarly, spitting, you know, mind-blowing wave that goes both ways. And that's what... That's the one thing as a fan that's kind of going to be a bummer to miss
0: that, you know? And then, yes, but... Once we get used to another spot, there'll be pros from that spot, you know, benefits of that spot that sure. weren't applicable at Pipe. Yeah, I totally so, agree
1: with you. I, I think it's not uh, insurmountable to to move on. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so just in regard to the Founders' Cup, for anybody who's not up to date on the information, it's a five-team, five-person-on-each-team event, USA versus Brazil versus Australia versus Europe versus the rest of the world. There'll be co-ed teams uh, composed of surfers from both the men and women's championship tours. So all the surfers will be from the CT level. Three men, two women from each region. It'll be a festival-style setting complete with on-site food, music, art, special guests, and of course, Michelob, which is the main sponsor of the event. Um, After all, this is the first time the public will be granted access to this wave to watch this event. The Team USA will be captained by Kelly Slater. Team Brazil, captained by Gabriel Medina. Team Australia, do you know who the captain is? Uh, Ace Bucket. Stephanie Gilmore. Oh. Team Europe. Princess Di. Princess Di. Team Europe, captained by Joanne DeFay. And Team World, captained by Jordy Smith. free that's com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply what's that look i don't understand team
1: europe joanne Defay. they couldn't find somebody that's more marketable not that she's not a great human being and a wonderful surfer. i don't think she
0: even has a main sponsor to your point about marketability but, i mean i mean she,
1: when you think of europe is that the first name that pops into your
0: i would think jeremy flores yes
1: thank you yeah so anyway
0: um, Jeremy's
1: so, on the outs with the WSL. They don't like him too much. He's just like a, you know, one outburst away from being um, Bobby Martinez.
0: <laughs> so Kelly Slater said, Surf Ranch and the wave system are obviously special to me, and it's really exciting to see it come online for the public in 2018 with the Founders' Cup and then the Surf Ranch open. As someone who has competed in probably every condition format there is, the Founders Cup region versus region co-ed format is really intriguing to me. I think May is a great is going to be a great showcase for the world's best surfers at the facility. Blah.
1: Kelly Slater is going to win his own event which his company owns which he is promoted by the Yeah, WSL which he has some sort of dark dark web ownership of. We don't know. No, it's all good. It's all good. Look, I'm excited for the future of surfing. Is just, I mean, in 15 years, we're going to be blown away by the by a sweeping. It's going to just look totally different. It's yeah. going to look so much different.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, that kind of uh, segues into the upcoming 2018 season. Have you started to get ramped up for that at all? Are you focused? Well, on- the
1: the thing that's gotten me most ramped up is like really the biggest story in surf, in my opinion. What should be, what isn't, the biggest. Story in surf is the real why isn't it the biggest story in surf is the insane cyclone swell that they had in Australia last week, Hurricane Gita or Grita or Gita or something like that. Yeah, Cyclone Gita, that thing was insane. Yeah, it was pumping. Yeah, and of course, look, there's a bunch of mussy moments. I mean, my mussy moment is obviously footage from Kira that was all over the internet and. It was mine. You've been to Australia, right? No. Oh, okay. Well, it's one of those things where if you've been there too, you're really frothing because you realize that, yeah, we saw a little bit of Kira, but the entire coast was just lit up. There's was just so gonna, many places that were ridiculous.
0: I was going to ask you about that. When you said the cyclone and the how great the waves were, I only saw the Superbank, basically. I saw some interesting
1: footage on Instagram, I think, of Double Island Point, which is north of Noosa which is you take a, yeah, you got to take a ferry and you get in a four-wheel drive and you drive up the beach for 45 minutes on the sand and then you get to Double Island Point, you got to park and then you get out and walk over the point and it's just this massive, you know, mile-long sand bottom point, kind of like Byron times four or something
0: like that. Wow. Uh, Not to jump ahead in the notes at all, but my kook of the week comes from that exact swell. You remember maybe the kookiest move you saw throughout that swell
1: um boogie boarder dropping in on some on like parkinson's brother or something like that uh, <laughs> mitch huh.
0: daryl or is that so, his dad
1: or his uncle uh, no
0: no actually uh it was similar <clears throat> though darren hanley dropping in on the jet ski
1: no Did what See ha- his uh,
0: jet ski crash Uh. Uh-uh. oh my gosh dude! was that him that crashed that thing yes you got to see this footage it's so gnarly He whips somebody in, I forget who, it it looked like um, Brent Dorington or something, whips him in and doesn't make it out the back of the wave. So he adjusts and like kind of goes down the line on the wave and the wave starts to barrel and he can't like make it down to the trough of the wave fully. So he kind of like, he kind of like rodeo, like whiskey throttles it, like up the lip a little bit and can't get out the back and then comes back down and goes up to the lip again to try to get out again. And then Indos, in the mid-wave phase, goes over the handlebars. He had a photographer on the back that just gets It's so gnarly. And the waves double overhead. It's the gnarliest thing ever. And um, I guess, you know, having not been there and only kind of reading people's accounts of it, when the waves get that big, it's pretty much unpaddleable. There's just so much water moving. And, I don't know about that.
1: I saw guys paddling it, but go ahead. Well, you
0: can get out to the lineup and make a wave, and then you got to do another lap around. You can't paddle back out, right, after you go 200 yards down the line?
1: Maybe not. I'm sure it's a workout. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. they walk out and jump off the groin or whatever.
0: So there's a number of skis in the lineup on days like that, and it, it is illegal. Um, the rule... You know the law states that you can't exceed six six knots if you're within sixty meters of somebody in the water, a swimmer, a surfer, whatever. So these guys are definitely breaking the law, but it's not really enforced. There's kind of just you expect Parco and his crew, Red Bull might have a team or two out there, and you kind of let those guys get away with it That's because sort make, of weird
1: when you think about it. It
0: is, but it, you and I get it. No, you know I get I mean? it, but we, I mean,
1: I mean, we make special who in us in the Australian legal world decides you know what yeah it's cool it's red bull the
0: legal world the law
1: is the law except for red bull and for parko and i don't get i don't, I, care. I don't like think it the seems kind of like that would never fly in america somebody would go dude the law is the law it doesn't matter yeah. if you're parko well, especially
0: or- in america <laughs> people would have got sued yeah around. that's my point so i don't think the legal system is defending them. It's just nobody prospects. No, everyone's them.
1: looking the other way.
0: There's yeah, no doubt. All the surfers are like, "Dude, we kind of like Parko and we want to see him get a wave." Like, I don't know about that part, but
1: maybe. I'm sure there's just
0: as many exactly, people that are like no, not know, that's what everybody says.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Everybody I'll loves Parko.
0: If you don't love Parko, Scott, then that's on you, okay? I don't <laughs> okay. know why you're being right. contentious.
1: <laughs> I love Parko, but not on a ski. Um
0: <laughs> Well, that? well they love Darren Hanley even less now. Like Darren oh. botched it, you know, like as bad as you could possibly botch it. And all the accounts of everybody who were there was like, I am shocked nobody got injured and or killed because then that ski gets washed in. It's just pure chaos. You know? And But
1: they kept on... Doing step offs. Like, did that stop the step off process? It might, have ended, it
0: might have ended Darren's day. I don't know if it ended all the other time. I mean, that's times. my point.
1: If that doesn't end yeah. all the other step offs, nothing will. It's yeah. just like everyone's looking the other way. Somebody's constable is best friends with the uncle of Mitch Parkinson or right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's who knows. But I you know, I don't care either way. I'm just saying it just blows my mind that legally it, it nobody's liable. Until like,
0: somebody gets hurt. Somebody's going to get hurt, and then all of a sudden, the hammer's going to drop. Right. Let me ask you this. I want You said you don't care. I want you to care. Okay. How, how would you handle this? As a surfer paddling out, and you see the millionaire pro surfer showing up with their tow team, and of course, they're going to get whipped into every good wave that comes through, which is going to eliminate
1: your Well, waves. I watched the video. There was a lot of good waves that guys caught on the corner by paddling in, and they got killer tubes. And there was plenty of waves where guys did the step off and they weren't in a good spot. They didn't make the good part of the wave. Um, so that being said, what I guess I'm saying is the playing field was wide and there was a lot of waves for everybody. It wasn't like an inconsistent swell that only had a few sets and there was only one takeoff spot and the ski guys were dominating where guys that were paddling should have been dominating. It was... it. It was a scenario that was open to what happened during that. Like, it was okay, I guess is what I'm saying. Because of the playing field, the number of waves rolling in, and the fact that, like I said, guys that were paddling in on the corner were getting killer ones. And guys that were stepping off outside weren't making the wave. They were, a lot of times, they would just go into a hole, a dead spot. and You know, so...
0: What's your question? That's magnanimous of you, <laughs> but I don't think it's accurate, an accurate assessment of what happened that day in the lineup. I That's what I saw. That's no, what well, I You're watch. watching videos of the best waves of the day. Obviously, people edit that footage. No, no. What I saw an unedited saying, video, too. What I'm saying is you you know there's people in the lineup who oh, didn't sure. get waves because the guys got whipped yeah. in off the back. And I
1: if I was one of those guys paddling, I would probably be a little bit butthurt about it.
0: If this was your home break, I know where you surf. Yeah. If it gets giant and as good as it ever gets, and then a bunch of ski teams show up and start whipping dudes into waves, how would you feel? Well,
1: it's not a matter of how I would feel, it's what would I do? <laughs> yeah, okay, what would you do? <laughs>
0: Look in the mirror and be honest. Oh, it would be ugly. That was the most maniacal laugh you've ever given, dude. And there's more of it. Oh, you know what? Uh, I'm cutting that laugh and putting it in the intro
1: of the show. Look, surfers are the worst, and my laugh explains a lot. Um, you know, I would, it would not be pretty. And I'm not necessarily proud of my response here today. Because surfers are the worst. I mean, we're entitled, self-centered, egotistical, self-absorbed, self-important jerks. And I might be the biggest one of them all. And I've said this before. I'm not necessarily proud of it. I'm trying to grow through this. I don't want to be that way. But if a bunch of guys on skis showed up at my spot... And just the fact that I called it my spot, did you see how I did that? Like, that just rolled off my tongue. It's not my spot. It's a surf spot that I happen to paddle out the at. Spot a spot that
0: you frequent.
1: So, there's just a lot of, I mean, it's funny. When I was driving up here, I was like, David and I need to really excavate the principles of surfing. What are what's the number one principle? What are our top five principles? What are our values? And you and I've talked about this yeah. before.
0: You did a trip where you had a couple down days and you came back with a whole new philosophy on or you it was your current philosophy, but you put it in paper. Put it on paper.
1: And and I'm only speaking of myself, which is really sad, but I think that the number one principle is selfishness. Like, it all starts there. I'm not getting enough. I need to get more. I'm not going to tell you where I'm going. You know, I'm not going to show you pictures of where I'm going. But I want you to know all about it.
0: Because, you know, it's like... Or I want you to see me standing in a tube. Yeah,
1: I want you to see me standing in the tube. And look how bitchin' I am. But I'm not going to tell you because it's super secret and I'm really cool. I mean, the whole thing is so 15 years old. It's ridiculous. You know what I mean? It's so teenager that it's embarrassing. But if we excavated the top five principles of surfing, you would think like if, if my grandmother or your grandmother asked us, we'd go, Oh, it's uh, beauty and, uh, Athleticism.
0: Yes. <laughs> Environmentalism. Yes. But it's your grandmother has a super deep voice, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you're right. She does. Uh,
1: I don't know how we went down this rabbit hole, but well,
0: you came very, very close to answering the question, and then just like did a super hard e break, spun. Let wave. me just
1: say, if it's not your turn to catch the wave, the person whose turn it is is going to
0: go. You're going to burn him.
1: I didn't say that. It might not be me. There's plenty of guys that are going to do that. I might be one of them. It could be me,
0: guys. So I got. I saw video footage of Taj being whipped in priority position
1: what do you mean priority position from
0: deeper than anybody else that's obviously. not priority
1: position that just means that he was selfishly
0: going and he got burned by paddle surfers and it, and, and it's how like, does that
1: make how do you what, what's your feeling on that I loved it
0: <laughs> I loved it I was like stuff him because Taj just rolls in and he was set up perfect obviously it's Taj and a paddle surfer does kind of glance at him and just like paddles right in, drops in, And then somebody burned the paddle surfer, uh, another paddle, surfer, uh, really? yeah. <laughs> which I think that's just going to happen at Kira, no matter what, what yeah. size it is. Um, but I loved it. I was like, and I, and I thought to myself in that moment, Taj is okay with it. I don't think Taj is going to say one yeah. word about it because Taj knows that's the I mean, risk you run. That's
1: the other thing too, is the nuance of who is who and what's what. And, how many waves did Taj just catch, and how many waves did this guy just paddle out and just get off work as a brick mason? And he just needs to catch his waves, yeah. and he's you know, there's so many little nuances that go down in a certain sur- the psychology of a surf lineup that it's just hard to even watch a video and know really what's going on, you know.
0: But I like in my head the way that scenario played out was that guy knew it was Taj and said "F you." I, I, I paddled, I paddled this, so I'm going because I used my arms. <laughs> But to paddle into this thing, and also in my scenario, I think Taj saw him going and goes, "Oh well, he has a right to burn me because I whipped into this thing. I'll go back out the back and try another one." Yeah, on the on the ski.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I, uh, yeah, I would agree that I'm sure Taj took it right. You know, took it the right way. Like, yeah. okay, what? Maybe it wasn't my turn. Yeah. But I would love for you to excavate the top five principles of surfing.
0: I'm going to make a note for myself, and
1: maybe regionally they're different. You know, maybe, maybe if you live in New Zealand, you don't have this sense of impending doom every time you paddle out.
0: I need you to better define what I'm going to, def- um, what the principles are, because I thought when you said the top five principles, these are like things that I aspire to. But no, selfishness isn't what I aspire to.
1: No, and, and so I'm, I guess what I'm. What are the um, underlying, um, I mean, selfishness is a characteristic. So what are the underlying characteristics of surfing in Southern California? Is, Is characteristic
0: enough of a definer for you? Underlying characteristics of surfing in Southern California. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I still wouldn't have put self... I, I agree, selfishness. Yeah, maybe that's
1: just me. That's just too much of me coming out. Just based out.
0: on that descriptor, I wouldn't have come up with selfishness, but I agree with your statement that it is what drives our experience. I mean, so,
1: why don't you go into the ranch with six guys on a boat? You just don't. Yeah. And then you shouldn't, yeah. you know? And why is, the, the, why is it that the sentence or the phrase, you shouldn't do that, why does that carry so much weight? Well, it's because it's kind of rude, right? Yeah, if yeah. there's 17 boats show up and they all have six guys on them. Now, if six boats show up and there's only two guys on each boat and each one guy goes over the rail, 20 minutes later, the other guy finishes his coffee and he goes over the rail. We don't both go over the rail at the same time. You know, there's all these little nuances that all equal, it. All it's all about there's just not enough of this thing called waves. There's just such a limited quantity of them yeah. that the underlying characteristic of our surfing experience is, I guess it's um, it's the it's scarcity. Scarcity is what drives a lot of our characteristics and the way we think and the things that we do. It's like there's just not going to be enough for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm fearful fear could be one of them i'm actually when you boil it down it's fear i'm afraid i'm not going to catch a lot of waves i'm afraid i'm not going to have fun i'm afraid other people are going to find out about me having fun i'm afraid people aren't going to see pictures of me standing in the tube so i can gloat about how you missed it like all of these things are really immature
0: Mm. you know what i love about also i will put some thought into this and come prepped next time um what I do love about surfing is that um, it is a microcosm for the way societies kind of develop, you know? And it, we kind of have to ignore legality and make our own rules in the water, right? It's kind of like a hunter-gatherer small community. And there's a pecking order, and that pecking order is dictated by ability level, by hard work put in, by number of hours spent at a single spot. And you and I are trying to define it, and often we will kind of um, wish that there were laws in place to dictate some of these terms, like with the toe guys or with the ski in the water or whatever. But the reality is it all sorts itself out. You know, It sorts itself out through occasional violence, through – Uh, lack of athleticism through aging in your body kind of not being able to maintain anymore and i think that is what we all love about it is it is still a hunter-gatherer society
1: yeah there is a sense of wild west and as soon as one of us goes oh i wish everyone understood the rules let's write the rules down so everyone can understand them that's a As soon as you do that, you go, somebody burn the rule book, please. You know, because I don't want rules. That's really the beauty of it. It burns
0: itself. That's the thing about surfing. The rule book burns itself. What ends up happening is you have to show up earlier than anybody when it's cold outside in the middle of winter and surf when it's one foot or 10 feet. And that's how you develop your ability level. So then on the weekend when the other guys show up. You're getting more waves than they are. You're in the right position. You're getting the sets. You're surfing better than them. They feel a little bit of shame because you're surfing better than they are. So then they want to try harder. So then they show up Monday at 6 a.m. And by the way, shame is a good thing. <laughs> see, see, no, that's it's a it's good thing that you it, said it dictates that. society's rules without the law having to get involved. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like now we're not allowed to but call it's somebody not your fat grandmother's, or whatever grandmother's
1: beautiful experience no, that we were no, talking no, about. No, that's my point, right? I mean, the fact that... Yeah, it's, it's just not this, you know, we're going to be harmonizing with the no. blue whales.
0: No. And it, there will be a snapshot of your best turn that then it does look harmonious, but there's a tremendous a facade there, but there's no way to manufacture that image without all the hard work involved. And that's what we love about surfing. There's no way to fake it till you make it.
1: It truly is a manufactured image. It's a fake image. The story the that whole grandma thing is, is drawing
0: behind it is fake. But well, all that's the, work the story that you we're did,
1: kind of putting out there. Yeah. I mean, how many times is, I mean, somebody goes, grandma goes, oh, that's a beautiful picture. And it is a beautiful picture. Yeah. But you don't go, well, let me tell you what's really going down and explain what you and I just went
0: through. Yeah, I put in 300 days a year for the last 22 years. And that
1: guy next to me is a total dick.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, his his dad bought him a brand new board, and he just shows up every on the weekends. Yeah, whatever, he
1: toes yeah. into waves that I had to paddle right, for.
0: Right, and then ditches his ski in the lineup.
1: Yeah, but it's okay because he's a big-time shaper, so everyone bows
0: down to him. For what reason, I don't know. But you know, so I think we've talked about this with yoga in the past, where it's kind of like there's no – I've never talked yoga with you. Yeah, this, you have. This must
1: be you and Chaz Michael Michael. <laughs> Dude, you no, I'm just got super I, into yoga. I two love years yoga. Ago. No, I'm a big are yoga. you still doing it? Of course.
0: I don't think you are. I do. Not. Exactly. <laughs> no, I do. I I've tell. got a membership no, but I've been ill. Right, right. Yeah. So you haven't been doing it for when was the last class you went to?
1: Maybe two months ago.
0: Okay. But my point is with yoga, it's a competition against yourself. You know what I mean? Like there's no faking it. You're in there and you're alone and you're, and it's freaking hard. Yeah. And, um, there's no, it doesn't ever get easier. It, the more experienced at yoga you are, you just have new challenges that you face. And that's kind of what surfing is like. There's, there's fulfillment along the way and it feels good. It's rewarding along the way, but you're never going to kick out of a wave and be like, I surfed that thing perfectly. I guess I can go hang up my wetsuit and not do this. And like, you're always presented with new challenges, you know, but the reward is built in.
1: Yeah. There's some, tr- a lot of truth to what you said, but of course it's not a great, it's not a perfect analogy. And, and frankly, the fabric of our surfing experience is so multifaceted that you can't sit here at a podcast and we're sort of just touching base on the very most sort of a minute part of it, right? Because there is a lot of beauty and a lot of other blah, blah, blah that's involved with our surfing experience. But, you know, I was talking to a friend on the phone yesterday about like just the drama of a new swell, you know, like the fact that we get butterflies and part of the butterflies are, is anyone going to be there before I'm there? Yeah. You know, like there's all this scarcity and fear. It's like, it's all based around fear. And is that how I want to live my life? I've got, let's say I got 20 more years. Is that how I want the next 20 years to be like filled with this fear about, you
0: know, and, and the answer is no. Let's dig in. I disagree. I love that. We're slightly different ages, so maybe we have different dispositions or outlooks. What I'm suggesting is if the opposite of that, I worry that the opposite of that is complacency or ends up in com- complacency. Like if you're on whatever, your honeymoon or a vacation, and it's kind of like, oh, we're just going to like not present ourselves with any... Resistance. We're just gonna eat well, enjoy ourselves, lounge. That gets boring so quick. The fear and the resistance and the challenge and the consequence of failing at something is what provides the joy in life, and it's also what builds your muscle. It's what builds your character. It's what builds everything. I guess the
1: the only I, failure that will occur is that there was a bunch of guys in the way when I should have caught the wave. I'm not gonna fail on the wave. Oh, really? No, because. What does that even mean? You fall? Yeah, I'm not going to fall.
0: Okay. I've seen you fall. (laughs) Remember that set, that set right you got that you botched? When?
1: Let's just uh, move on with our. (laughs) I think our discourse must be boring the crap out of you. Where
0: are we even? What are we even discussing? I don't even know. We've gone Um, such
1: a. Oh, by the way, I ran into a woman named Kat. I was at JP St. Pierre Surf Shop, Surfy Surfy in Lacadia. And was talking to JP. There was nobody in there. This one woman walked in and she heard JP and I talking. She goes, are you Scott Bass? And I go, yeah. And she goes, oh my God, I listen to your podcast all the time. She's from Sydney, Australia. And her and a group of friends listen to our podcast and they like have like a, and they listen to a few, they listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Surf Mastery, I think is one yeah. of them. And Anyway, and um, and she's like, oh yeah, we listen to your podcast. We love your podcast. It's great. And So I wanted to let you know that out of the blue, random listener from Australia ran into me.
0: And they were just on vacation.
1: Yeah, she was here for a wedding or something. Amazing, dude. Yeah. Amazing. Cat. So thanks for listening, cat. Yeah, shout out. Kat. Yeah.
0: Um, well, Scott, I got a question for you. Yeah. There were two contests at Nazare within a week period, a two-week period. Do you remember either one of them? Did you watch either one of them? Yeah, I... Th- what- one of
1: them was the Big Wave World Tour event, right? Yep. Yeah. And okay, so that was heavy. The first day was gnarly, right? Just mind-blowing and that the guy who won at Lucas deserved to win it on the first couple waves of his first heat. I don't know if you remember, you know, well, the one where the, he pulls in and that gnarly
0: closeout left. Yeah, the way the day that the event ran wasn't nearly as big as the free surf days that were leading up to it. Well, the, the first ran. day was pretty big. It was this. It's only a one day event, I thought.
1: No, the next day, they canceled it because of wind. Oh, that's right. And they, they ran like it the next day, and right. it was way smaller. Yeah, and yeah, Albie yeah. Lair was calling them out on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. And. And I think rightly so. I don't know if it was really a Nazir Nazare paddling day that second day, but I mean everyone was there. They sort of had to run it. It was like a classic yeah. nightmare for the contest director, Mike Parsons, where he's like, Look, we're all here, let's just do this.
0: We already ran part of it.
1: Yeah. And Pete Mal caught a huge wave caught some good waves in the on the first day, you yeah. know, and 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 it was um it was it was sorta of watchable. The first day was sorta of watchable. I watched some of it, you know. There was a lot of action. It was, here's what, here's the thing about the first day. The gnarliest thing is the guys on skis aren't getting paid enough at N- Nazare. Like they have the gnarliest jobs. That's an insane job to be a ski driver at Nazare. Like it looked easy to be the surfers relative to being the ski drivers. That's Those guys funny. were getting their asses kicked. Like it's a full-time job getting through that white water.
0: That's so funny.
1: And and I even randomly ran into Jojo Roper at lunch that day or the following day, and he, he said the same thing. He's like, that, that's just the gnarliest job. Yeah. The ski driver guy. And I'm sure those guys were going, this is way more than we anticipated getting involved in. It's a little bit different when you're like doing step-offs or towing guys in than when you're all the time going into the whitewater at Nazare, it's it's a mission because there is a Fr- lot of cr- shit and crazy and crazy
0: frothy white
1: water that yes. the ski
0: doesn't even go through. Like, exactly, yeah.
1: it's it's scary. I mean, it's, it's super scary. It's got to be gnarly to be a ski driver. Like I don't think they realize that they're not getting paid enough.
0: Yeah, well, the other event that ran is the Capitolo Capitolo Perfetto. That's
1: not how you pr- pronounce it. It's
0: not at all. It's not even close. <laughs> um, it's a barrel event. It's like it's on the inside sandbar, right? Have you seen the inside sandbar at Nazare?
1: I think one time a few years ago, didn't Kelly surf it. Yeah,
0: you're right. Yeah. There was footage of Kelly free surfing it. This event's run a number of times. Um, it's sick. It's like sicker than the big wave event. It's actually a really good wave. Um, it's like gums on steroids or something. I don't. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a barrel. There's a right and a left. William. Alla, uh, I think one. That's, via- not,
1: that's not how you pronounce it. <laughs>
0: You're killing me, dude. <laughs> it's usually you or you're the one botching the 1st It just can't be the way you pronounce it. it just um, can't be. Do you even know who that is? No. Of course not. So, anyway. It's Wilhelm. Uh, William Aliota yes. is his name. and sure, uh, sure is. Anthony Walsh was in the final. Ballerum stack. Corey Lopez made the final. Really? That's very interesting. Yeah. So, But it was rad. It was like I watched... I didn't watch the event live. I don't know if they streamed it live. Shannon but I did.
1: I, Shannon. Reporting? Reporting did. I okay. saw it on Instagram, but I didn't watch it because. But go ahead.
0: Yeah, well, I watched just the highlights and I was like, holy crap, that event looks sick. And like everybody's raving. Everybody who surfed it was raving about it. And I was like, it's kind of weird. It didn't, it certainly didn't overshadow the big wave event because it doesn't have the press and the publicity. But as a viewer, that was more interesting. Mm. Like, I watched those clips. Oh, okay. Um, and I would like to see more from Nazare at Head High, you know?
1: Yeah, and then, of course, as you know, because I, I watched some stuff that you posted yesterday, right? A couple days ago, Ross, Ross Clark oh Jones gosh, just dude. had that incredible wipeout and very scary situation.
0: So gnarly, dude. Uh, and that was actually my going to be my must-see moment for this week. Um, Ross Clark Jones. Th- that was Sunday. 51 years old. 51 years old. Two days ago. yeah got, got a big, not a, not a massive, but like a very big, got towed into a big right at Nazare. And once the wave kind of hit the shallow section, it starts kind of barreling down the line. And he knew he wasn't going to make that section. So he just ejects off his board in the whitewash. Gets rolled into where the cliff is, kind of a little bay section there. And he said he saw it happen to somebody like four years ago, the same exact situation where once you're in that position, the skis can't rescue you. All the water is rushing you into the into that cliff and the cliff is all rocks. And it's not a gradual progression of like shallower rocks. It's like giant rocks that you can't even climb up onto and you just get battered. And sure enough, he got absolutely battered. Thankfully, He had his quicksilver, I forget what they call that vest, but it's a life vest with the, you pull the, um, the The charge.
1: There's like a charge that
0: you pull, right? Yeah. It's a bladder. It's like an ale. It's a, the air jacket, you know, an air bladder and he pulled, he was going to get slammed into a rock. So he pulled one of the bladders and got bounced off the rock. He said like it actually saved him and he said his head still kind of got whipped into the rock and hit it. And then, but it punctured the bladder, and so then he had to pull another one because I guess the vests have multiples. And um, <laughs> just completely, the footage
1: is he's so such un- an animal that guy's such he's fifty-one. An how about the how about the shit-eating grin on his face when he's like climbing up the mountainside like a billy goat, and he's
0: just got this kind of half-cocked grin, like pour me a beer, <laughs> you know? which I love. There was somebody in a comment section that mentioned they're like. Only Ross could have survived that because of his, like, hard love of cigarettes and and boozing and Brazilian women. <laughs> and it's just like, he's so crusty. That you can't really phase him. You can't even knock him down. He's just gonna get back up and just keep trudging up the cliff, you know? Yeah. So he ends up surviving the whitewash and then, as you stated, had to climb up the cliff to get back to survival. And then uh it's just gnarly. It's so it's good to see a super gritty dude just super gnarly, just handling. Getting manhandled by the ocean, getting out and just being like, Well, that's it for today. But I'll be (laughs) back I'll be back tomorrow.
1: I hope he is. He's quite a character. 51 years old, though, you got to start to kind of go, hmm. One of the things I noted in one of the newspaper articles about this is that Ross Clark Jones drew on his considerable experience of the ocean and forced himself to stay conscious before a flashback to his youth when he used to hide behind the rocks at Terrigal on the New South Wales Central Coast, which is where I used to live. Oh, really? Terrigal. The Terrigal Haven has these incredible rocks that, you know, you might have to hide behind on occasion.
0: Which we can all relate to, right? The wave, the rock is kind of in the shoreline. You hide behind it. The wave crashes and creates kind of like a barrel over the rock. And you're like, you can hopefully stay dry. And you do it for fun as a kid in non-life-threatening conditions.
1: This didn't look like fun.
0: No, this was, yeah, he was doing it for fun as a kid and then realized as an adult he needed to draw off that. So, really um, radical footage. So, we've got that on spitpodcast.com. One thing I wanted to bring to your attention, Scott, is a recap of something that we've covered in the past. Yeah. The nuclear waste situation at Sano. Really? They just buried the first canister, the first of 74 canisters. You're just going to bury them right there, huh? They're burying them (laughs) temporarily, quote unquote. Sure. Although there's no. Planned um new location, permanent location.
1: Yeah, no there's no political will to change that. What's the upside? Everyone will be dead that cares about
0: it now anyway. Can I um enumerate some of the concerns to you? Please.
1: I'm very concerned. I think it's
0: horrible. It's crazy. Like
1: it's it's crazy how mind blowing
0: poorly planned this whole thing is. Yeah. And then anybody who looks for information. They basically stiff arm and they're like, you can't come. You can't take photos. You can't look. You can't ask. We're just handling it. Don't worry. Right. So here's the deal. Southern California Edison has the nuca- nuclear plant at Sano, which they've um, decommissioned or deactivated yes. or whatever. But they have a lot of Spent nu-
1: fuel rods,
0: nuclear waste right. that they need to get rid of. Right. And they don't have a permanent home for this. So they're moving it from its current location and putting it in. The, what we affectionately refer to as the boobies right. at the Sano. They look like boobs.
1: Yeah, but no, they're burying it next to the boobies. They're not inside the boobies.
0: Okay, I wasn't sure. Are they currently in the boobs and they're moving them out of the boobies? Yeah, boobs?
1: they're spent fuel rods. Okay. Currently uh, in the boobs, being moved.
0: They're putting them into these canisters, silos. Yeah, canisters. And are, then putting the canisters, they're burying the canisters.
1: Yeah. Which are. They're like cement canisters. Yes. Yeah, like, they're meant. The walls are like two feet thick or something.
0: Well, there's the good ones are two feet. Right. The ones that that they bought are 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 the cheaper ones. Right. They're like four
1: inches thick. Yes,
0: exactly. So here's the deal. This was reported by uh, Jake Howard, friend. Yeah. uh, Your friend. Yes. And he uh, reported it on StabMag.com. said, quote, Southern California Edison has begun burying nuclear waste 100 feet from the beach at San Onofre. There are massive cranes currently in place. The first canister was buried on January 31st. Um, all these canisters, the 74 canisters, are under tarps on the bluff. Heavily armed private security guards are guarding all of this and chasing off people. If you park your car to take photos of it, they approach the car and tell you to leave, even if, though it's a not a no-parking zone. They're not allowing anybody. So, And for the foreseeable future, nuclear waste will be sitting a stone's throw from one of the world's most utilized surf breaks. There are 3.6 million pounds of, quote, spent nuclear fuel assemblies on site. A third of it was transferred to a horizontal dry storage system back in 2003. The rest is in 73 canisters. And by the way, it takes... Five to seven years to bring the temperature down to where it can be transported. So that's why this is taking so long. The eventual the eventual goal is to move it to somewhere safer. But meanwhile, the U.S. government has completely failed in its efforts to find a permanent location to store this stuff, which is why it's still at Sano. It takes seven days to move one container. So to move the entire lot of 74, it'll take a year and a half. One has been done. One was done last week.
1: Um, It's amazing that they decided that this would be a good place to
0: bury this. Well, this is where it was generated originally, so they're just moving it on the same site. Each container, each of these 74 canisters, holds as much radiation as was released at the Chernobyl accident. Yeah, and there's 74 of them. And weather patterns could create a plume extending (laughs) across our entire nation. The canisters have a 20-year lifespan.
1: So the canisters
0: will fail. At the outset on 20 years, they could fail before that. Right. With Chernobyl effects times 74 yeah, at but, Trestles.
1: Right. It's mind-blowing. And, of course, initially the plan was to move these things to Nevada. There was a place that they were going to bury them underneath a mountain in Nevada. It was all planned out and ready to go. But the political will in Nevada didn't want that to happen um, Senator Harry Reid is actually the guy that said, no, you're not moving those things, not, not on my watch. And, um, you know, it's just a quagmire that's way too deep for this conversation. But uh, it's, it's mind-blowing that quagmire or no quagmire, that this is our solution, that we're just going to bury him and hope in 20 years we come up with an idea.
0: They're trying to come up with the idea in the interim, it seems, but they're blocking all information, you know. And like I said, um, Jake Howard talked to a guy who pulled – he saw the cranes and he saw the tarps and he saw the armed guards. So he pulled over at a spot where you're allowed to park and pull over, started taking photos, got approached by armed guards who said, it's in your best interest to leave. And he's like, what do you mean my best interest? And they're like, you need to leave. (laughs) Well, then a news crew came. I think it was CBS (laughs) came. And same thing. Parked same spot, got approached, and they told them it's in your best interest to leave. And the news reporter was like, what does that mean? And they're like, uh, you're at risk of being exposed to radiation. Whether or not that's that's that's, that's probably BS. Yeah. But if that isn't BS, that's even worse. If you're at risk of being exposed to radiation simply by driving on the street <laughs> nearby, that's yeah. even worse. Yeah. So it's an insane situation. What's scary to me is that it takes seven years for the temperature to drop enough to m- handle the material. And it takes seven days to move the material once it is at manageable temperature. So that means if something goes wrong, you can't manage. There's no escape plan. If something goes wrong, there's at least seven days to handle it. That's if it's at temperature, if it's not at temperature, well then we got to wait seven years. Like it's insane.
1: Yeah. Nuclear waste. And, and think about if they did have a plan to move it to say Nevada. Okay, so that means they have to lift these things out of the earth, put them somehow on some trucks to get them to a rail line. That's going to then, the rail line's going to have to go 400 miles on a rail line through the desert to get to this.
0: It's just the whole thing is mind blowing. And you think the tow drivers are, the, t- the ski drivers are underpaid? <laughs> <laughs> the people handling nuclear waste. Man,
1: I don't know. How did we come up with that as a good option for? Making energy. I'm not I, sure. I mean,
0: I have a question. I mean, does this at all influence whether or not you'll surf trestles or Sano?
1: No. You'd still go surf it? No, I'm not going to go surf there. But it's so not you'll because... never
0: surf trestles again?
1: Probably not, but it has nothing to do with the <laughs> nuclear waste. What does it have to do with it? My fear and my scarcity. My concern about Knowing me Knowing that getting... you're not
0: going to get waves right. out
1: there? Yeah, it all comes down to that little feeble thing.
0: You and I surfed there once where trestles oh yeah how'd How you
1: that? do <laughs> i don't remember
0: i think we both kind of uh, acknowledged I, after the fact like eh, i've had enough of that
1: yeah i don't know i'm
0: it was i mean it was meager that day but it was yeah i was battling for waves yeah it was just battle
1: oh yeah i remember now yeah it was like it was kind of crowded summer day
0: crowded marginal like yeah high tide or yeah yeah whatever whatever <laughs> We're so. By the way, every time we complain about waves, I get five emails or DMs from people going, "I live on the East Coast, dick. <laughs> you have hey. no idea. Your mediocre waves are days that we beg for." The East Coast has been so much better
1: than the West Coast this winter, although pretty frigid. But
0: they they've had um, definitely more like highlight days, but I'd say we probably had more surfable days on the whole.
1: You know the place to go right now? Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico's set up for a massive swell right now.
0: Puerto Rico's a good place to go. Dylan Graves just posted an edit with a bunch of novelty waves. That's what I think of when I think of Puerto Rico, is like fun um, reverbs, backwash bouncing off a rock, and like. It's so beautiful there. Yeah. You got to check it out. Have you been there? No. You got to go check it out. All right. I will. Puerto Rico. Um. Did you watch Mason Ho and Tom Kern in Typhoon? Not yet. Okay.
1: I need to see that. Yeah. It's right? worth
0: it for three minutes of your time. It's worth Mason it. Mason Ho? No, TC, dude. TC the man. TC. Like, Mason's rad. Like, my thought was... What's what's Kern riding? What do you think? He's riding Super Dave. Really? Yeah. That's so hot. Did you see Super Dave out in the, <laughs> out in the hallway right now? I think I might have. There yeah. was a Super Dave out there. That's so yeah, cool. I don't think. I don't know if it was actually Curran's, but um, there was a skimboard out there. Uh, so he, he was writing his modified skimboard. And-
1: Exile, right? Exile Skimboards is the company, I think, that Curran's working with.
0: They're out of San Clemente right here, I think. Yeah, he definitely has been writing those and tagging them in posts. And you're yeah. right, I think Super Dave is an exile. But I also saw him building some boards in France that were actually um, normal surfboard construction, but built like a skim, like right. the same kind of dimensions as a skim. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Super Dave. So I know, isn't it good? <laughs> so funny, dude. So.
1: By the way. Is it just me or is it, can I not get enough roller skating of Aki
0: and Tom Curran? It's not just you. I mean, you can't get enough of that. Did you watch the video? Yeah, I watched some of it. They they have, when they put their skates on, they put their sandals on their hand and they're high-fiving with their (laughs) flip-flops. They have flip-flop hands and they're high-fiving each other on skates. It's Amazing. That's funny. It's the best two minutes of the entire rock cast I've <laughs> ever seen. Like the best two minutes. It of-
1: doesn't get any better than that. No, it hang doesn't. it up.
0: By the way, it's painful. Uh, did you not? I mean, did you watch the 30 minutes of them trying to talk? No. Oh, my God, dude.
1: Uh, do I or do I not? It's, it's painful.
0: It's um It's entertaining. Let's put it that way. All right. It's entertaining because Curran can't formulate a thought like in a in a concise period of time. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean?
1: I do know exactly. It's so good,
0: but it's like I I actually stayed engaged the whole thirty minutes, waiting to see when a full sentence would come out. <laughs> oh you know, and it's like he'll it'll take him two minutes to get through the sentence. And then you're like, well, was that the most profound thing I've ever heard in my life? Or was it void of any substance at all? I'm not sure. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure what, he, what it was, but
1: yeah. I want
0: to hear more. Um, and here's the funny thing about it is I think that Kern is a savant. I'm not questioning his intelligence at all. I'm yeah. just his ability to communicate his thoughts isn't uh, concise, you know, and it's not really effective even. But I have a feeling He's on a different plane. I think he's just on a different level altogether. I would agree with that. It's really, really interesting to watch. Anyways, Typhoon with Mason Ho. They are such an odd couple, and it's so good to see them together. Mason is a bundle of energy. He's high energy. He's saying every word that comes into his brain, which is the opposite of Curran. (laughs) Curran's a man of few words. But Curran seems to like having him around. And Mason is not shy at all about his fandom for curran he's like telling curran to his face oh my god you're my hero can you just like <laughs> hold this bar of wax for me show me how you wax your board like <laughs> oh god, like it's really, really ridiculous that's kind of cool and curran doesn't seem to be bothered by the fandom where you think that he would be with any other human being you know here this is no tom curran's band yeah it's tom really yeah
1: I well, like that's Curran from a long time ago. That's probably 95 or something like that. So hes if he heard that, he'd probably cringe and go, that's Maybe. not.
0: I, I heard Curran, saw and listened to Curran play in these hallowed halls of the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. main room. Yeah, he came and played. I forget what the event was for, but he came and played. He had Super Dave on display. I got a photo of me holding Super Dave, an original Super Dave. Did he have
1: that black bass player guy with him or no? I don't remember. No. Um, he's good. They're they're fun to watch. I mean, he's a good musician.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's actually something that he and Aki talk about a little bit that was I was interested to hear more about. Um but him surfing in this typhoon, like this edit from Rip Curl Typhoon, it they don't get great waves. They just get fun, playful waves. And Curran simply standing up. I'm like, well, that is art. And Mason's ripping, but I don't really want to emulate mason for some reason yeah. current simply standing up is amazing and yeah. then he surfs he surfs that skin board well he of rips, course yeah. and it has fins and like the modified version he has actually doesn't look like it's holding him back like the old versions used to like he's doing backside blasts on it it's freaking gnarly dude yeah. but watching their dynamic together is the most fun part about it
1: He's like the most real thing about surf culture, Tom Curran. I agree.
0: He's it, the best representation of everything you and I talked about.
1: Yeah, like if there is an ideal, it's it's Tom on roller skates, trying to get through a long sentence that's not really that long. It only has four words in it, mm-hmm. and him like just everything you just mentioned about you know like his aesthetic is kind of perfect. It is because in a way you can't really talk about surfing like you can't really even though you and i do it all the time we can't really express it and what's so perfect is that Curran expresses that you can't express it it's so true yeah he he is words he is our deity he
0: really is yeah it just words don't do it just <laughs> we bow
1: down before you
0: if a picture paints a thousand words just Curran's aura Paints a million. You know what I mean? Right. And represents surfing. It's so true. He's the man. We love him. Uh, well, I already gave... My must-see moment was the Ross Clark Jones thing. My kook was Darren Hanley for the jet ski debacle. Can I give you a duke? Yes. Aaron... I'm sorry. Andrew Turton and Pete Salinsky. Oh. You know those guys? No. Okay. Uh, they're two surfers who invented something called... Um, it's it's basically it's a rubbish bin for the ocean. Rubbish bin obviously is not an American colloquialism, but that is what they call it. It's simply called sea bin, and it looks like a trash bin. Uh, it actually looks kind of like a buoy, somewhat submerged. It sits the top of it, the opening of it sits on the surface of the water and floats on the surface of the water, and then it's a trash bin below, and it basically has a pump that pumps trash into it. Um, and let me give you some details. It sits on the water surface. Each bin has the potential to vacuum up more than 1.5 tons of rubbish and debris from harbors, marinas, and ports each year. So not the ocean, but it's in, sure. uh, ports and marinas. Area. yeah, it can catch everything from plastic bottles to paper, to oils and fuel, microplastics, less than five millimeters in size. Already the invention has provided has proved popular in 11 countries and the startup business has attracted interest from sources uh, from more countries. They have 2500 orders in place for this trash bin. You can go on their website cool. and order one. What's um, it called? C-Bin. 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 Yep. And it's two surfers that invented this thing and Cool. Yeah, got some venture capital and uh, looks like an ingenious invention.
1: My hat is off to them. Congratulations. Yeah.
0: Good stuff. Yes, yeah, Scott. All right, dude. Uh, next time we get together, we'll be... Well, yeah, right- we didn't
1: even really t- talk about the new season coming up. Well,
0: it'll be right before Snapper. Snapper starts, I think it's the 11th of March. Does it feel like there's not a lot of mojo going into Australia? We're starting the mojo now. Where the mojo has started. You know what's crazy? What? John John Florence Yeah. went to Australia before the Vulcan pipe pro to warm up. And I thought I, when I saw that he was there, I was like, Oh, I guess he's there for a month, which is gnarly. Like that's real, you know, um, Training, hardcore training and preparation. And then he was back at the Vulcan pipe pro. I was like, he went to Australia for three days, five days, maybe at the most, you know, Yeah. but still awesome. Good on him.
1: Yeah. I haven't given much thought to the new season to be honest with you.
0: Well, let me force you. Make a pick for snapper for the men's side right now. Who's your call? Um, You can adjust next time we get together, but I want one preliminary pick. uh, I'm going to go with Owen Wright. He's going to go two times in a row. I did not expect that. I didn't either. I'm just throwing it out there. Were you looking at our 2017 show notes? No, no. (laughs) I'm going Felipe. All right. Felipe's won out there before. I think he uh, seems like an obvious pick, but at the same time, he's actually underperformed in 2017. So I feel like he's going to show up with a lot of fire. He just released an edit from El Salvador uh, surfing a bunch of point right-hand point breaks, and it's like he's unbeatable, dude, when he's on. Yeah. So I think it's a safe, somewhat safe bet, but I feel like he's got fire from underperforming in recent years. Will Kelly be there? Yes. Kelly's r- supposed to be there. He did just have surgery on his foot to remove parts. Was it removed? Yeah, Yeah, something. But I think he should be in shape to be there. Here's just a quick um, primer for what the season looks like because it is a little adjusted from previous years. Snapper Bells, Margaret's Rio, then Caramas, which I'm thrilled to have back, both on the men and the women's side. I think Karamas is a great venue. J-Bay, Chopu, Surf Ranch, France, Portugal, Pipe. Hmm. I have a question for you, Scott. Yes. Never really thought about this before, but is the QS harder than the CT? Uh,
1: I don't know if I could answer that. I don't know.
0: I saw Patrick Gadowskis in an interview he did on the WSL say the QS is so hard. He didn't say it was harder than the CT, but he was talking about how hard it is. And I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? I feel like it's harder. I feel like, well, there's a lot more guys that you got to get through. Right? A lot more events to get to. A lot more guys. It kind of depends. I was crappier ways. I was
1: rapping out with a kid that's on the QS. And He's like, yeah, I'm trying to get into some six thousands. You know, and just to get into the six thousands, you got to surf in the two thousands and the one thousands. You got to go to El Salvador for the friggin' La Libertad one thousand and surf against two hundred and fifty dudes. You know. And then hopefully you do well enough so you get some points so you're then invited into the 6000s. And if you're not invited into the 6000s, you're on the waiting list and you're just hoping that maybe they'll call you and say, dude, can you get to Japan in a day and a half? You know, like he was telling me the horrors of it all. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty fascinating. And it wasn't like I didn't really know that it was horrific. And so maybe in that regard, the, you know, what Godowskis was saying makes sense. You know, that look on the CT, there's, a crew of guys, you're pampered a little bit relative to the QS. There's only 30 of you or whatever, 34. And, and you're kind of the stars, you know, and everything's cool. And whereas on the QS, it you know, it truly is this, but it kind of depends where you're at on the QS. If you're into the QS 10,000s, you know,
0: even then there's 200 guys, right? That you got to get through. I just wonder like, for somebody like John, John two-time world title, holder, current world champ, if you put him on the QS without any seating, just like, hey, you gotta go like make your way on the QS, he's in the position the kid that you're just talking about is, would John John thrive? Would he even make the tour?
1: Yeah, I think he would. I think John John's the best surfer in the world. So yeah, the answer is yeah. He there's a lot, as you know, there's a lot of Matt Bannings out there.
0: <laughs> He's making a comeback. Whatever. There's a lot of Carlos Munozes. I think he made it to round six in the Meriwether event.
1: <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, there's, there's no lack of, of guys that you surf with them every day in the yeah. south side of Huntington Pier that are great surfers, but that's just it. They're QS3000 guys. You yeah, know? but
0: that's kind of my point with John. John is like, there's so many, I guess, um, the contest system you can be the most prepared, the most talented, all of those things and still lose because there's that many variables involved that are uncontrollable. And then there's that many guys who are hungry to get a scrap. So in those QS events, there's also a lot more rounds that you have to surf your way through. And in each one of those rounds, one of those variables can jump in and overshadow your preparedness and your talent. So if you have to surf all of these things 1,000 events, to get to the 6,000s. There's just a lot of things that can go wrong, no matter how talented and prepared you are. So I feel, and then... The bigger question is,
1: do we even need some of these QS? Like, is there a way to pick the top 34 without the QS? No. Like, there for isn't. instance, couldn't we say, look, Mickey Wright deserves to be one of the
0: top 34 this year. Hey, I might mispronounce. Mikey? Yeah, Australia <laughs> like foreign, no, not Australian. Mikey European Mickey. European names whatever. I mispronounced, but you mispronounced the English one. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. My- Point is,
1: couldn't we say, "Hey, Craig Anderson. We want you on the 34 this year." Dane Reynolds, you know what? Let's do it again. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't have to qualify. Don't you think you, specifically you, a guy who watches a lot of edits, could pick there could be a room of ten guys like you, and you could be one of them. And you know, there's guys like that 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 you and I email with that know that are pretty knowledgeable about who's hot, who's been doing good edits.
0: You guys could pick. I know, but check ten it. guys to fill out the thirty-two. I love your scenario because I'm in a position of power, right. so I'm a fan. Right. But once we are in that room and we define a criteria for how we're going to pick these guys. There's going to be other guys that fall outside of that criteria that are probably better equipped to surf in that event, and then we'll be in the same position we're in now. Criticizing the criteria, you know what I mean? You, it, you're well, just.
1: I just think third, first of all, 34 is too many.
0: It needs to be 20. Yeah. Or less. Yeah. But. Well, let me ask you this then: Who are the stars of the event, Scott? What do you mean? What's the star of the event?
1: What's the star? What do you mean, what's the star? The waves. Oh, of course. The Thank waves you. are the stars. Yeah.
0: I'm just asking you to restate no, yeah. previously stated. Uh...
1: And actually, I wanted to bring that up when we were talking about the new tour and the new venues and maybe a tour without pipe. If the waves are pumping at G-Land, nobody's going to give a crap that we didn't do pipe. Yeah. And it's really going to come down to that. And if there's no waves wherever they end the tour, if the waves are crap. People are going to be complaining that they didn't do it at pipe. Yep. It's that simple
0: yep all right well snapper preview two weeks from now scott yes Spitpodcast.com. it's where you can chime in there's a comment section um and yeah see everything that we discussed in this show boardroom show may heck 5th and yeah. 6th heck yeah super excited
1: yeah scott at boardroom you can email me scott at boardroom show my instagram is boardroom show
0: hello at surf David is hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com and then insta at surf splendor
1: all right nice catching up there good stuff until next time adios and hello there's
0: only you and
1: About you have you got a place to stay? Why should I care
0: when I'm just trying to get along? We were friends, but now it's the end.